After watching Aaron with the kids, is anybody jealous of not having a hands-on activity? (laughs) If you are, I got good news. You do have a hands-on activity. Everybody who is comfortable with technology, bust out your phone. All right? So we're going to start off with a little activity. I want you to go to northkentbiblechurch.com, which is our website. All right? Go to northkentbiblechurch.com. And when you click the little drop-down arrow... You're going to see something that says Puzzling Christmas. All right? I want you to click on that link. And what you're going to see are seven different puzzles. Now, don't press any of them yet. CJ, can I have the secret for a second? All right, so don't press any of them yet. What we're going to do is, if you don't want to do it on your phone, I'll have it up here on the screen for us as well. So this is what the web page should look like. You'll see seven different puzzles here. They're only 12 pieces. But what we're going to do is we're going to have breaks. Everybody who doesn't want to do it on their phone can watch me do it on the screen. And we're trying to guess what image it is as soon as possible. And if you're doing it on your phone, we'll count down and press start. We're going to see if you can complete the first couple of turns, all right? <laughs> what? What if you know already? If you know already? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a long though. Uh, Jamie, you need to go home. 
bastards. <laughs> You can make the pieces bigger if you want to. I'm sorry, I turned it during service. <laughs> <laughs> Trina, you, you truly are fantastic. <laughs> so these puzzles were fun. And sometimes, uh, even though these pieces, puzzles were a little easier, sometimes puzzles can be a little bit tricky. 12-piece puzzles are, are definitely on the easier side of things. But, you know, you can get into hundreds I've done some puzzles with Deb. You can get into the thousands of pieces, right? You, what's the biggest one we've done as a the family puzzle at the McLean's? Have we had a 5,000? 2,000? Yeah, Brittany. Can we do 100 next time? I will make a personal 100-piece online jigsaw puzzle just for you. I'll send you the link. So... Puzzles are pretty fun. I bought a lot of puzzles at the North Kent auction a few years ago, and not one of them has every single piece. <laughs> Deb, I don't blame you. I said he <laughs> I don't blame you, Deb, for the puzzles. I know I bought them from you, but I don't blame you for the puzzles. Uh, I know what I was getting into when I was buying secondhand puzzles, okay? Kyle likes to save a puzzle on our family puzzles and put the last one in. So he, it's, he's always a little mischievous that way. But when it comes to finishing puzzles, they're just entertainment at the end of the day, right? It's not a big deal if you finish them or not. It doesn't really change your life. But what if a puzzle was a little more important? What if a puzzle had life-saving consequences? Like if you didn't solve it, you may miss out on something really big. Well, that's the exact problem that was presented to the people in the Old Testament. You see, there are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that are made about the Messiah, right? They're just little pieces, a sentence here, a verse there, spread all across the Old Testament. But, and the Messiah is so, so very important to God's plan, which is why he's talked about so often, and which is why God sprinkles in these promises and prophecies all throughout his word but it can be difficult to piece that all together. And obviously, people were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They were, they were looking for them, looking for him. And so they needed to put together these pieces. They needed to figure out the image of who the Messiah was going to be. That way, when he showed up, they wouldn't miss him. So many scholars and good Bible students, before Jesus' time, put together an image of what they thought the Messiah was going to be what they thought he was going to look like. But it isn't as straightforward as we may think it might be. Right? It can be a little bit tricky. And so this morning, I want to show you the dilemma that was facing the people before Jesus, trying to put together the pieces of who the Messiah was. And I want to show you that solving the Jesus puzzle happens through his birth, happens through Christmas. So I'd like to start off this morning by opening up our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, 18 through 23. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go grab my Bible. 
So in Luke chapter 7, the, uh, the chapter highlights a couple of Jesus' miracles. At the beginning of the chapter, uh, there is a miracle with uh, Jesus healing a centurion servant. Right? So he shows, uh, the centurion shows great faith. And so Jesus heals his servant. And then later in the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are heading towards the city of Nain. And Jesus sees this dead man being carried out of the city. And he feels for these people. And so he heals the dead man and brings him back to life. And this apparently, and for good reason, spread across the area. I mean, this kind of news doesn't go unnoticed. People are coming back from the dead. People are being healed. It spread like wildfire. And so some of John the Baptist's disciples heard about this guy who was going around healing and raising people from the dead. You guys know who John the Baptist is, right? Right? So he's this guy who is supposed to be ushering in the Messiah. So now we know that, based on Matthew 11, that John the Baptist is in prison. And he's hearing this news that there's this guy doing these miracles. And he's curious about him. He's wondering if this really is the Messiah. And if anybody should know who the Messiah is, it should be John the Baptist, right? But even John wasn't sure what the Messiah was going to be like. I say this to prove the point that maybe figuring out who the Messiah was is not as simple as we think it is. Maybe it was a little more complicated than that. So let's look at verse 18. This is where we pick up the story. So the disciples of John reported to him about all these things, the miracles that were being done by Jesus. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? So here we can see that John has some doubt. Right? He's picking up some pieces from the Old Testament. He's putting them together, and he's getting an image of what he thinks the Messiah looks like, what he thinks the Messiah is supposed to be doing. We don't know for sure what John thought the Messiah was going to be like for 100% certainty, but we do know and can reasonably assume that Jesus didn't perfectly match what John thought the Messiah was going to be. Because if Jesus perfectly matched John's thoughts, then he wouldn't have any doubt. But here we see clear doubt that John is not 100% sure that Jesus is the Messiah. So let's keep reading, 20, verse 20. So when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, or are we to look for someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered them and said, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. So these men, these disciples of John, come to Jesus. They ask him the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the guy that we're looking for? And instead of answering the question with a yes or no, Jesus does something instead. He heals people. He casts out evil spirits. And then he goes back and he tells them to repeat to John Old Testament passages. 
The words that he, that Jesus says are quoted out of Isaiah chapter 29, 35, and 60. He kind of strings together these few passages from Isaiah. And he says, go tell John what I did and tell him these words from the Old Testament. And then John gets it. It clicks in his head. He's like, oh yeah, this guy really is the Messiah. Really is. And Jesus does all of this because he knows that who he is, what he's supposed to be comes from the Old Testament. That's why he quoted from the Old Testament when he was trying to convince John that he really was the Messiah. But it just goes to show you that if John didn't get it, the man who was chosen by God to usher in the Messiah, if he had some doubt about who the Messiah was, then certainly other people would, right? They're going to have some difficulty putting together this prophetic puzzle, so to speak. And so this morning, I want to just show you through a few verses why that might be trickier than we think it is. We have the benefit of hindsight. We know Jesus is the Messiah. But if you lived before Jesus' time, it may have been a little trickier. And I want to show you why that's the case. So I'm going to have the references up here. We don't have to look at all of them. I'm not going through every prophetic verse, but I do want to show you some of the different puzzle pieces. So to start us off, We have prophecies that that tell us that Jesus is going to be the son of a woman, that he's going to be the son of a virgin, that he's going to be the son of man, that he's going to be the son of God, and that he's going to be the son of David. All of these are talking about one person. That's just, and this is just one aspect of who the Messiah is going to be. You can see why there is some confusion. How is someone who is reading the Old Testament, looking at all these things and and saying, how do all these pieces fit together? How how does this make any sense? First of all, how can a baby be born of a virgin? That has its own difficulties just right off the bat. But next, you factor in the Messiah that, or the, the fact that the Messiah is born of a woman, but he's also called the son of man. He's also called the son of God. And he's also called the son of David. How, how do all those pieces come together? Because They're seemingly contradictory. How how does this make any sense? And this is just the tip of the iceberg because the prophecies are more and more numerous. The Old Testament also tells us that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But it also tells us that the Messiah is going to come out of Egypt. And it also tells us that he's expected to be a Nazarene, someone from Nazareth. And in case you don't know, Bethlehem and Nazareth are 90 miles apart from each other, and Egypt is 800 miles from Israel. So how can one person be from all three of these places? Trying to put put yourself in the shoes of an Old Testament scholar, right? And you're looking at this, you're trying to figure out how, how, how does one person match all of this stuff? Next up is that it says the Messiah is going to be king of the whole world. But it also says he's going to be rejected by men. Those two things don't seem to match very well. How can you be the king of the entire world but also be rejected by everybody? That doesn't seem to make sense. And the, the puzzle continues to grow and, tends, and it continues to be more complicated because the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to be killed and crucified alongside criminals. That he's going to be pierced through his hands and feet And it also says that the Messiah is going to live forever. How does a man who is killed and pierced also supposed to live forever? 
right? Not to mention on top of that, there are verses that say this gruesome and violent death of the Messiah will happen without any of his bones being broken. Now, it seems unlikely that you could pierce someone, drive nails through their hands and feet, and beat them close to death without breaking any of their bones, right? That just seems like a pretty unlikely scenario, yet this is what God says about the Messiah. You can see how these pieces seem difficult to fit together. The last one we're going to look at here is that it is said that the Messiah is going to be the stone rejected, kind of this idea of being rejected by men, this one who's going to cause some stumbling in the way of people. And it also is said that the same Messiah is going to be the chief cornerstone, the foundation of what God is doing. You can see how these pieces don't look like they can fit together. And when you look at all of them together, let alone just individual, but you look at all these pieces together and you can see how difficult it might be to have a conception of who the Messiah was. So we can't really blame John for having his doubts and and wondering, who is the Messiah? Who am I really looking for? And especially when some of these prophecies seem to directly contradict each other in the process of their fulfillment. But it is because of Christmas. It's because of Jesus' birth that all of this and more makes perfect sense. He brings it all together. So let's just think about it for a second. How did Jesus fulfill all of these prophecies? Well, he was born of Mary, who is a virgin. And that was possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is also the Son of Man because he is a human being. It's just this general term for human beings in the Old Testament. And this, by the way, was Jesus' favorite title by, for himself, the Son of Man, because it's this language that comes from Daniel. It talks about this Messiah, this human being who God is going to empower and glorify. And anyone hearing Jesus call himself Son of Man would have instantly thought of the book of Daniel. So it was really significant. Jesus is the Son of God because God's power was used in Jesus' conception. It's because of his miraculous conception that he can be called the Son of God. And it's through the fatherhood of Joseph, who is obviously Jesus' earthly father, it's through the fatherhood of Joseph and the bloodline of Mary that Jesus is directly and through adoption the Son of David, fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah is going to be a king from the line of David. Jesus is starting to put together these pieces. And in the early life of Jesus, more scripture is fulfilled. So first of all, we know the Christmas story. Jesus was born in what city? Right. So he fulfills that prophecy right off the bat. No problem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And he was only there because Mary had to go through a census to get there. Something out of her control. And then Jesus is life is threatened by Herod, right? So Herod hears the rumors of this king who's coming, and so he kills every boy of a young age so that he can stop this prophesied king from growing up. And to flee this infanticide, Joseph and Mary go where? They go to Egypt, right? So this is how the prophecy is fulfilled that the Messiah will come from Egypt because when he comes back, He's coming from Egypt. And where do they live? Nazareth. Nazareth. 
Exactly. And that is how Jesus fulfills the prophecy that he is going to be a Nazarene. So, you can see how Jesus is starting to really put together these pieces, how it all makes sense. We know that Jesus is the chosen king, but not everybody knew that or agreed on that. In fact, a lot of people rejected him. And on the way to the cross, where Jesus was beaten and spat on and cursed, he was rejected by all mankind. He took on sin. And after his death, by the way, no bones were broken, he was resurrected to eternal life and glorified to God's right hand to be king over the entire earth. Right? And during his earthly ministry, and even now, people still reject Jesus. He is this stone that people look at and they say, you know, he's not that special or he's not real. And so they throw him out with everything else they deem as these bad stones. But to those who accept Jesus as Messiah, he is the perfect and chief cornerstone. Right? To some, it is foolishness. But to those who accept it, it is the foundation and the the very thing on which everything else is built and compared. And for these reasons, Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies, all of these requirements from the Old Testament. And when we put these pieces together with Christmas, when we get the birth of the Messiah, we get Jesus. Jesus is the answer. It's because of this monumental moment in history that we are able to sit here today in celebration. We spend a whole month of our lives every year talking about the birth of this baby because it's amazing. It's because Jesus fits this prophetic mold perfectly and he fits it in surprising and unexpected and amazing ways. And it's because of his fulfillment, it's because of his birth that we get to enjoy the freedom, the freedom that the Messiah brings. We get to live forever because of Jesus. We get to know God, the Father, in an intimate way because of Jesus. You get a community of believers sitting right here with you today because of Jesus. No wonder we spend an entire season talking about his birth, talking about why he makes everything come together. I know that when I start talking about this and I, and I see this picture and how God put all these pieces together and how, and how Jesus makes it all work, I get really excited because it's proof. It's undeniable proof. No other person, I'll go back, no other person in history could fulfill all of those different things. It had to be the one person that God chose to make that happen. And that's how we know that Jesus really is who he is. And that brings me hope. That brings me hope this morning, and I hope that it brings you hope this morning. I didn't know I could say hope so many times in a sentence. I hope that this message has set the stage for you to truly worship Jesus and his Father. I hope that we see Christmas and the miracle it is in a different way because of this. And as we move into our last song of the service, I want you guys to leave behind all the other thoughts, the lunch plans, the, the puppies that you might be getting, the wood files, 
all the stuff you might have gotten, all the things you need to figure out, I just want you to leave that behind. I want you to just come and worship. I want you to stand in the awe of God and the joy of Christ's birth. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank you for laying out who the Messiah was going to be and for fulfilling every single one of those promises through Jesus. I thank you for your amazing gift of salvation. And I pray that we honor and glorify you and exalt your Son to the proper place in our hearts and our minds. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.